Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to us again this morning through your word. Give us understanding, not only in our minds, but in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. The famous erudite commentator, Winnie the Pooh, once said, I am a bear of very little brain, and long words bother me. Well, today we have a short word that uh, quite a few people find bothersome and can certainly make me feel like a bear of very little brain. And that word is, of course, Trinity. Today on Trinity Sunday, we remember and celebrate that our God is one and yet also three. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And getting your head around that can be quite difficult. I think the kids actually have an advantage over us today. I think they can get an understanding of this sometimes more easily than we can. And while I shall not attempt to make the Trinity easy, much less try and explain the Trinity, I do want us to see how this profound mystery of the very nature of God is both vital to our understanding of who God is and to our understanding of who we are. And so the big take-home point today is this. If you get too distracted with all the coloring, take this home with you. Just as God himself exists in relationship, so too are we who are made in his image, made to exist in relationship. Writing almost 30 years ago, theologian and missionary Leslie Newbigin said this, the deepest root of the contemporary malaise of Western culture is an individualism which denies the fundamental reality of our human nature as given by God. Namely, that we grow into true humanity only in relationships of faithfulness and responsibility towards one another. I'm going to say that again because I think it's really worth paying attention to. The deepest root of the contemporary malaise of Western culture is an individualism that denies the fundamental reality of our human nature as given by God, namely that we grow into true humanity only in relationships of faithfulness and responsibility towards one another. You see, the truth is, it's not all about you or all about me. It's actually all about God and all about his purposes and his plans for all that he has created. And it is as we understand, not necessarily with our minds, not even primarily with our minds, frankly, but much more so with our hearts who God really is, that we will then be better placed to understand ourselves. Now, while life is not all about you, that is not to say that you don't matter. Our lives, our experience, what we want and need and feel are all very important to knowing who we are. Indeed, on a day-to-day basis, how you feel and what you need and want is obviously going to affect 
you very, very significantly. But these things are not, or at least should not, be those which form us as unique, made-in-the-image-of-God individuals. I believe that we could probably all benefit from a healthier perspective of who we are as God's people. Now, the truth is that you and I matter a lot. As we heard a moment ago from that most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, God, we matter so much to God that he sent his only son to die for us so that whoever believes in him may not perish but have everlasting life. Eugene Peterson wrote this, spirituality means going against the cultural stream in which we are increasingly trivialized to the menial state of producers and performers, constantly depersonalized behind the labels of our degrees or our salaries. There is far more to us than our usefulness or our reputation, where we've been and who we know. There is, writes Peterson, the unique, irreproducible, eternal image of God, me. In order for us to discover ourselves in that way, what we need is not primarily informational, telling us things about God and ourselves, but formational, shaping us into the beings that God wants us to be. And that is what the scriptures are able to do for us if we will allow them. For it is in the pages of the Bible that we discover the truth about God and the truth about ourselves. And what we discover is that God is personal. And whatever else the doctrine of the Trinity tells us, it is that God has revealed himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you know, sometimes people like to, they prefer, they find that almost intimidating or almost too, too personal. So they talk about God as creator and sustainer, a redeemer and sustainer. And those are great descriptive titles for what God does. But they're not personal. God's revealed himself to us in personal terms. And at God's very core, there is a relationship. So however old we are, whatever our circumstances may be, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is making himself known to us. Peterson writes uh, about how we read the Bible, and he says we can do that, you know, looking for spiritual direction, for inspiration, for moral authority, for intellectual challenge, all of which is fine. But he makes a plea for us to learn to read the Bible in a different way, through listening, through inwardly digesting that which we encounter in the pages of the scriptures, so that in doing so, we may encounter the living God, the God who is Father, the God who is Son, the God who is Holy Spirit, the God who is personally revealing himself to you and me, personally revealing his designs for your life and mine. And Peterson makes this plea for Trinitarian thinking and praying before Scripture that cultivates an attitude that submits to being comprehensively formed by God in the way that God comprehensively and personally reveals himself. And so he, he gives this great illustration of, of a kind of 
alternative anti-Trinity, because that's the waters in which we frankly swim. It's not the Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Rather, it's this Trinity of self. It's, it's, it's a Trinity of um, my wants, my needs, and my feelings. And we all, we've heard this. But I'm shocked time and time again when I hear people saying, well, I just need this. This is what I need. This is, you know, I've got to take care of my needs. Well, there's some truth to that. We do. We do have to love one another as we love ourselves. So, of course, we have to love ourselves. But this is an unholy trinity if our life is based on my wants, my needs, and my desires. But that's precisely what we find in our culture in the U.S. today. It is the ultimate consumer, all-about-me society. We're surrounded by personal choices and freedoms, all designed to enable us to be in control of our lives and have all our wants and needs and desires satisfied. Well, that's the promise. It rather begs the question, and how's that working for you? This is the way, subtle and not so subtle, that it has become all about me. And the fruit of the spirit of the age is consumption, acquisition, and selfishness. My needs above anyone else's. And in this pseudo-reality, my feelings become the truth. My needs are what matter most. And my wants are paramount. paramount. I will have them. I will pursue them. I will do it. Last quote from Peterson. The blunt reality is that for all our sophistication and learning and self-study, we don't know how to run our lives. We require a text that reveals what we cannot know by simply pooling the acquired knowledge of the age, of the ages. And of course, we have such a text, the Bible, in and through and by which God wants to form us and mold us and shape us if we will let him. And so I want to turn briefly to the three wonderful scripture passages we have this morning, for in each of them we get a glimpse of the very heart of God. And his heart is a heart that is filled with love and compassion for all whom he's made. First, in that familiar passage from Isaiah chapter 6, we have that amazing vision of the prophet Isaiah caught up in the heavenlies where he sees the Lord sitting on a throne, surrounded by angels, constantly calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And in the presence of the holy God, Isaiah is immediately conscious of what? His own unworthiness, his own unholiness. He gets it, this alternative unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. He can't worship God as the seraphs do, for he knows he is just unclean. And yet, here's the good news. He can be cleansed, not by his own efforts, not by his own merit, but only because of God's grace and mercy and love. And once cleansed, 
Isaiah, this man of unclean lips, is commissioned for service. And so in these few verses, we see the awesome, and I know that word is utterly overused, but I think this is an appropriate context, the awesome holiness of God alongside his amazing compassion and healing and forgiveness. We see the importance of worship, which is being offered constantly around the throne of God, juxtaposed with the imperative of mission. Isaiah is sent out. Well, that's one picture, one vignette we have of our holy triune God this morning. The next uh, comes from Romans, and we see uh, the compassionate heart of God again coming through this passage. Last week on Pentecost, we were remembering the coming of the Holy Spirit in power and fullness, equipping God's people for mission and service. And here we are reminded again that all who are led by the Spirit are children of God. There's a, there's a blank picture frame, I think, in the bulletin for you to put your, your face or, or someone you know or love or are praying for. Children of God. Romans 8, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, we don't really have a translation for Abba. It's just a word of intimate closeness to God. Yes, he's holy. And yes, he wants us to be that close to him. When we cry, Abba, Father, it's that the very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Do you know that this morning, if you have put your trust in Jesus, that you are a child of God? Now, does that make life easy or pain-free? Well, no, of course not. Indeed, we may be called to suffer with Christ as we suffer the consequences of living in the midst of the alternative Trinitarian world of my wants, my needs, my feelings, me first. And if you live contrary to that, it'll cost you. But no matter how tough, how dark, how bleak life may be, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit longs to draw near, to help, to guide, to lead, to comfort. And we can cry out to him from the very depths of our souls, Abba, Father. And we can be scooped up and enfolded by his limitless love. Indeed, that is God's desire for us and for all whom he has made. As we see in the gospel passage, our third glimpse of what God is like. As Jesus told the lawyer Nicodemus, God didn't send the Son into the world to condemn the world. That's not why Jesus came. No, in order, he sent Jesus in order that the world might be saved through him. So what do we know about God? Well, in part it is this. When we speak of God, it is really just a shorthand for the Holy Trinity. And from this we can say we need to know God relationally and communally. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who mutually indwell one another, exist in one another, and for one another in interdependent giving and receiving. It's hard to, to just get our heads around it. 
Some people have called it almost like a dance. These three persons of the Godhead doing this wonderful dance. And there are wonderful pictures in art of the three persons of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in round a table in hospitality. So many pictures we can have. So that's the first thing, that God exists relationally and in community. The second thing we learn about God is that God is a missionary. We would not know God the Father had he not sent the Son in the power of the Spirit. As God has called us to enter into this amazing life change relationship with him, so he calls us to enter into such transforming relationships with one another. We truly are called to be a worshiping community. And in that context, we are empowered and equipped by the Holy Spirit to be more like Jesus and to obey his command to share Christ's healing with a broken world. And so with the angels, we cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And with Isaiah... We acknowledge our own brokenness and we cry, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And with all who are led by God's Spirit, we dare to cry out, Abba, Father. And I don't know what you add on to that. Maybe it's help. Maybe it's save me. Maybe it's I love you. Maybe it's thank you. I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe you're desperate for more of God. Then cry out today, Abba, Father, I need you. And as we do so, I pray that we will come to understand that there's far more to us than our usefulness or our reputation, where we've been and who we know. For underneath all of that, there is this precious, unique image of God, you. Known by God, loved by God, called by God. As you hear this afresh today, will you also hear again the one who calls you to share this wonderful understanding of God? this healing that he brings with a broken world. And will you hear the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Will you trust God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, enough for you to say today, here am I, send me. Amen.